I think it's not my money. I, I think I'm a steward of it. I think my responsibility is to to multiply it and to do good in the world. Uh, money is a tool. And you can do good, you can do bad, but the more you have, the more you can do. Welcome to the Culture of Leadership. We have conversations that help you develop and become a more confident leader. Have you ever considered implementing an employee profit sharing arrangement? Today's guest, Rob Buffington, didn't just consider it, he did it. In this episode, Rob shares his insights and expertise on how to set up an employee profit sharing model to attract the right people and create a positive work environment. Rob's an experienced consultant with a wealth of knowledge and expertise in vendor services, staffing, bookkeeping, and overall management issues. Currently, he owns and operates an accounting firm and a remote staffing company and his businesses have a strong commitment to giving back through local charity work. This is the Culture of Leadership podcast. I'm Brendan Rogers. Sit back and enjoy my conversation with Rob. People just didn't think it could work working remotely. Mm. And so it was the combination of being forced to work remotely regardless. So they had to adapt. And then they couldn't find staff regardless. So people came to us and just said, you have people, great, we're willing to try it. Mm. And it was a massive success. Yeah. And how many how many businesses are you serving and what's the geographical location? We're in 27 states as well as Germany and Canada. We have over 400 employees, probably 110, 120 clients. I, at this point, I honestly couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Yeah, well, pretty extensive business, mate. Did you leave school wanting to do this? <laughs> No, no. Actually, I was. I wanted to be a pastor. I was. Uh, I was in East Africa for about six months. I pastored for two years. Wow. Uh, but I, I came to realize something very sad, but very practical. That it takes money to do good, and I was very good at making money, but not so great at raising money. So I, I came to realize that my purpose was to make a bunch of money and then give as much of it away as humanly possible, which is where profit sharing came in. Yeah. Let's dive into the topic then of profit sharing. First of all, let's just set the scene for our listeners and watchers on YouTube. What is a employee profit sharing agreement? I'm sure that there's a bunch of different things and I'm not going to try to cover every possibility in the world. What it means for us us is we allocate a certain amount of our net profits, equal shares to our employees and and then another share to charity. And it's always the same amount. It varies by company. The lowest company is 10% each. The highest is 25 and 25. So we give away half of what we make. And you said a little bit earlier that before we started recording that it's something you've had in your business since day dot. What was the inspiration about having something like this in place at the very start? As weird as it sounds, it just seemed morally right. It just seemed like I want people to believe in the company. I want people to feel like partners rather than employees. And what better way than to say that the better the company does, the better you do. And what sort of feedback have you got over the course of having your business from your employees about the, this is awesome, or or maybe there's some other feedback criticizing it? It's been interesting. It's been largely positive. I will say as the company has scaled, it's become more and more difficult to uh, divvy up the pie, shall we say. We've had to move from discretionary to a bit more structured, having 
metrics and things like that, moving it closer to a bonus, but it still is fed out of the profit sharing pie. It certainly caused some frustration when we've had quarters where we didn't have a profit share because there was no profit. And I, I think a lot of employees can take for granted that there's always going to be money and then become frustrated when there's not. And they don't realize that's, that's how things go. And just because there's a profit doesn't mean there's necessarily pay. So the, we've had quarters where the business made money and I made zero and there was still profit sharing. And I, I, I think people sometimes don't, don't appreciate that until they've been in the, the ownership space. Yeah, it's quite a, I guess, responsibility to take on. You know, there's lots of stress. There's lots of responsibility around business ownership and those sorts of things. And to, to feel that you've got these situations in place, this profit-sharing arrangement, and then the employees who also work very hard and are committed employees, I yes. imagine, but earn something and then you don't. How do you take that on the chin, mate? I try to explain it as honestly as I can. I flatter myself to think that my employees, for the most part, trust me. They know that even, even if I make a bad decision, I do it with good motivation. So they know that at worst, I've made an error. They know that I'm not trying to do anything to obfuscate or deny them what they're owed. So I, I think transparency definitely helps. And it, it helps I don't, I don't take a salary. <laughs> Yeah, I understand. Getting into some of the nuts and bolts around employee profit sharing agreements, what are some of the factors, and I imagine there's many, some of the key factors that you may need to consider if a business owner type is looking into something like this? First thing I would say, it's really easy to overcommit. It is very hard to roll it back. So when in doubt, pause. I definitely was probably overly generous in the early days because we were small and we were a family and I worked with everybody and you know we had five employees and hey no big deal real easy to do and then as things grew and grew and grew things changed some divisions became profitable others became less profitable and there were people that we had to say it used to be company wide now it's become a leadership perk an executive and division head perk and so there were some people that didn't grow as fast as the company did, and we actually had to walk it back. And that certainly was not appreciated, but it was unfortunately necessary. Yeah, so I would say factor that. I would say make sure you know how you're going to be dividing things. Because again, it's easy when you have three people, five people, you talk to them every day. But when you're dividing up profit sharing among employees that maybe you don't work with directly, and you have to interpret their bonus based on the feedback of their manager. You have to kind of view everything through that lens. So think ahead to how you're going to do that. Are you only going to do profit sharing to your direct reports? If so, you're going to be very limited as you grow. Uh, if you're going to do it to other people, is it going to be based on metrics like a performance-based bonus? Is it going to be fixed by seniority? Plan out for five years ahead and 10 times the size. Otherwise, you're going to be fixing things on the fly, and that can be very disconcerting to your employees. W what you look at is just, of course, this is just common sense. This makes this is how we do it. To them, it can appear as being unfair or favoritism or fill in the blank. So the more of those things you can iron out in advance, the better. Yeah, a lot of factors to consider. If you had your time again, Rob, even if you wanted to have an employee share agreement in your business, would you do it from the start or would you advise waiting for some time? And if so, why? 
I would do it from the start personally. I wouldn't advise that for everybody. I, I would do it because I believe in it. It's, it's just, it is part, I believe it is morally correct. I'm a Christian, not, not a particularly good one, but it's who I am. And part of what I've done for over a decade is tithing. And it was easy when I was on a W-2 paycheck, but I had to ask myself, how do you tithe as a business owner? And that's where the idea of of profit sharing came from. And that's why our company, the lowest amount is 10%. 10% goes to charity. And it just seemed right that the same amount should go back to the employees. Because if I don't, if I didn't have employees, I wouldn't have a business. Those should be lined up. Why is distributing some of the profit to charity so important to you? I think that's why I'm here. I think I think it's not my money. I, I think I'm a steward of it. I think my responsibility is to to multiply it and to do good in the world. Uh, money is a tool, and you can do good, you can do bad, but the more you have, the more you can do. Tell us a little bit more about the overcommitting side of things you mentioned as one of the first key factors. What did overcommitting look like for your business? Thankfully, I had employees that understood in time and were willing to stick out with stick it out with me and to to grow with us and to trust that long term it was still in their benefit. But yeah, I had people that I committed profit sharing to when there were fewer people. And so as we added a lot more people, their numbers actually went down and it could cause resentment. The whole purpose of profit sharing is what's good for the company is what's good for you. So when you have different divisions as you grow, people can become very isolated and focus on their own areas. You know, what's good for me rather than what's good to the employee. Let's get rid of a difficult client because he makes my job difficult rather than the company makes money off of it. But if the profit sharing is there, I can trust them to at least consider the good of the company as well. But you have to be careful. Like I said, it's always easier to give more. Giving less is almost impossible. I guess what I'm hearing and what I'm taking away from you with that comment is that if you're going to start, it's best to maybe start on the smaller side and then you can grow into that as opposed to being too generous and thinking, well, I've got to try and pull back here if our business is going to survive. Would that be fair? Exactly. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And it, it can be very easy when things are going well to be all excited and happy and you forget, again, that's that's percentage of net profit that sounds like, oh, wow, I'm keeping 80%. I must be making millions. It's Again, that's without a salary. A growing business eats money. So you can have net profit and less cash. So it can be very easy to commit to this. And, and I think that's a test. I think that that's a test of character to, to keep up with it. But I've had situations where people have said, oh, well, that's only 20%. You know, you're making all this money. And it's like, I'll show you my bank statements because I'm really not. They don't understand the difference between profit flow as it relates to expansion and CapEx and even AR aging, how you pay before you get paid, things like that. So it can, it can cause problems for sure. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of moving parts. You mentioned the word transparency a couple of times, Rob. How transparent do you need to be with the financials of the business when you've got an employee profit sharing agreement in place? I would say that's got to be a matter of discretion. I personally don't share the profit and loss. I feel like there's very sensitive information. I feel like it can lead to a lot of 
backseat driving of, oh, why are we spending this much on advertising or, you know, payroll is this much and I make this much, therefore I'm below average. I think it can cause a lot of difficulties. Again, it it depends on your business. If you want to share financials for the division or growth rates, things like that. But at the end of the day, without context, it can be dangerous to share. Yeah, that word context, it's a powerful thing in so many areas, mate. When we ask about the factors to consider, you didn't use these words eligibility criteria, but you alluded to it, you know, what levels is going to apply to? Is it all? Is it how do decisions get made? What are some of the things that have worked for you and your business in determining eligibility criteria? What, what needs to be considered in that sort of process? The tough conversations, the tough questions that come up. That's a moving target as we've grown over the last 10 years. The number one thing that I choose to base it on, and, and I, I factor seniority, I factor level, I factor productivity. I guess what I really come down to is the amount of influence that person has over the company. Do I feel like their activities contributed to the direction of the company or are they more on the front lines? They're doing their job. They're getting paid a good salary but they lack the independence and the initiative to kind of move the needle. Because again, my goal is that by doing this, not only is it good for the employee, they're going to do more for the company, which in turn means more for them, and it causes a positive upward spiral. And who was making the decisions around these sort of factors? Was it you or did you have a leadership team in place and these are things that you really nutted out together? How did it work? I still make the decisions myself, given that the leadership team benefits from the profit sharing. I don't want it to become a political exercise. I think it's just safer if everybody's just, here's your amount, enjoy, use it in good health, etc. Has there been something within the eligibility side of things that you wish you'd done differently in hindsight? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Oh, beautiful thing. Absolutely. In hindsight, I would have added a minimum seniority. I would have probably said you have to be an employee for a year before you're eligible. I think there's a lot of people that went through the trenches with me and they were there in the early days. And then there are new people who show up and they're getting profit sharing too. And even if it's less, I wonder if that doesn't cause a little bit of resentment that it's getting easier with each generation of the company. And and I wonder if that doesn't, if people aren't a little concerned about that. As I said, I would have drawn out the org chart five years in advance and identified you have to be director level or vice president level and made that there. And then other people that I felt deserved it, I would have given, and this is what we shifted to, I give one-time quarterly bonuses if I think somebody's truly excelled, but I don't entitle them to profit sharing as an ongoing benefit. Just to be clear then, when does your profit sharing kick in for an employee? It depends on the position. Because we've been bringing on so many people, we've brought on a lot of executive level people and VP level people that it has vested at 90 days because we do quarterly profit sharing. Mm. So you're paying out quarterly if there is a, a profit share triggered. Correct. How have you found the profit sharing arrangement looking through the lens of motivation and good incentivizing people to perform well? How has that worked? I think it's definitely achieved its goal. I think it's made people feel like stakeholders in the company. Because again, let's take a a salesperson or a client service person. They could focus on their role and do what's best for them. 
You have an upset customer, just say whatever it takes to get them off the phone. You have a difficult client, ignore them, kind of push them out the door. But if they know what's good for the company, and if I've done my job in explaining that, then it helps them see the big picture and realize that their actions affect the company as a whole. It sounds like to me in that example, you've seen evidence of it's driven better strategic decisions for the company and hopefully for the client, but maybe it's driven teamwork through the organization. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good way to say it. It, It's helped people look at it from the right perspective. Is there any specific example you could share with us that comes to mind that reiterates that point, that teamwork and team members or executives having really robust conversations because they're just passionate about the topic and want to get the best for the business? trying to think of something specific. I mean, we are still a smaller company. We've grown so fast that a lot of the team is newer. I guess I would say I can just point to examples of people that I feel like have gone above and beyond what they would for a salary because they know that, again, this is in part their company. So I have an example. One of our employees, we had had difficulty making payroll one time. And he literally started reaching out to friends and family to borrow money for a few days. To be clear, we had it because we're an international company. Wire transfers can be a mess. The receiving bank had blocked something. And so several hundred thousand dollars was stuck in limbo between the banks and I couldn't resend it. But anyway, this person literally started reaching out to friends and family and and metaphorically scouring the couch cushions to help us make payroll. And it it gives people the feeling, as as it should, that this is their company too. And I feel like they go above and beyond what you would expect of just a salary employee. That's digging in. Did they give you a decent interest rate? (laughs) Yeah, it was... was, all things considered, it was very cheap what they paid to their, <laughs> their friends and family. Given the stress and pain that you're dealing with with wire transfers and stuff like that. Yeah, and sure enough, it was on the day uh, I was giving a very lo- presentation to a very important group. And of course, that was the day it happened. But. You're in the, the US. I'm not sure where your business is. Like, Is, is the US the, the considered the head office for your business, the legal entity? We have a couple of entities. We have one in the U, several in the U.S. Actually, one in Mexico and one in the Philippines. Most of the people we hire are in Mexico. We have the seven businesses all have entities here in the U.S. Putting that in perspective, then around the employee profit sharing agreement and those thinking about it, were there considerations you had to make in setting this up and the different countries you operate in? Any legal requirements, implications, anything along those lines? I've set all of our agreements up to be discretionary. All of the employment contracts, all of it, if I chose, I could bring it down. I don't choose that because I believe that my word needs to be sacrosanct. I think people need to be able to trust that when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. From a legal point of view, I do have the right to be discretionary and and choose who to give it to. I don't know how much you, you want to give away or even just talk generically, but from a eligibility structure, and the actual dollars or the profit sharing dollars going into employees' hands, what are a good, fair, incentivizing levels that you could operate on and a, a small to medium business could consider quite adequately? In terms of percentage or in terms of... Percentage, yes. As I said, you can always start small and build up. However, I do think there's a minimum that if you were to say, I'm going to give 1% to employee, I feel like that would almost cause resentment. Like 1%, I mean, you tip 15%. I feel like it might be so little as to invoke resentment. 
start at less than 10%. That's, that's just my opinion. Because again, people don't understand that doesn't mean you're taking home the other 90%. It means that the other 90% is going back into the company and, and things like that. So I, yeah, I would, I would start at 10% if I had to make a recommendation. And Rob, you mentioned more at the top of the conversation how the business has grown substantially, especially over COVID times, given you're a remote working mm-hmm. business. You are dealing with more, less and less of your people on a, on a personal basis because the business is so yeah. big, it's just not possible. And one of the challenges was that deciding on these sort of bonus levels when you're not necessarily in touch with that person day to day. How have you coped with that? How have you started to come more comfortable with that process? What have you had to put in place? Part of it has been restricting eligibility. Um, as you said, we've grown quite a bit. I recently came to the conclusion that I have an employee that is six levels down from me. That was an interesting feeling. It actually made me feel pretty bad because I like I think of my responsibility to my employees is similar to that of a father to his children. It's my job to care for them and help them not just in their job, but in their life. And how can I do that if I don't even know who they are? I've had employees come on board without me interviewing and and literally leave six months later without me having had one meaningful conversation. So it's certainly been a change and, and that's a ongoing problem I'm grappling with. But the bigger we get, the more I have had to tighten the circle and just keep you know, new employees just not eligible until you get to that certain level. Luckily, we promote largely from within. We have brought in people for, for the executive team with outside experience, but new people we tend to bring in at lower levels for the most part. And so they're in positions such as admin assistant, recruiter, where other companies are not doing this. So there's no real expectation of it. So it has restricted to become a leadership perk. And you mentioned a number of mistakes, whether they're common mistakes or not, I'm not too sure. But if you had to sum that up in a little bit of a a nutshell with a nice little bow on it, what would it be the common mistakes in your own experience that you have made or that you've certainly seen or heard of other businesses making around considering and implementing an employee profit share arrangement? I would make it a lot more data-driven. Again, with three or four people, you can just kind of look at it, put it on a spreadsheet and grow it. But when that becomes 40 or 400 or, or something like that, you can't go based off of feelings. You have to have 20% is going to be seniority and 20% is going to be profitability of you know whatever that may be. You have to have weighting criteria, stuff like that. So I would say that. I would probably put caps on it. We've had incredibly profitable quarters where you know one job came through and so the books just spiked right before the close and as a result there was a lot in the profit sharing queue and I've always gravitated towards being more generous than less if there's an if there's uncertainty in that situation but then for example if I'm just going to make up numbers if a business makes a million dollars and you make 300,000 or if you make profit of 50,000 in quarter two, because all the revenue posted before the cutoff, I've never billed people when there was a loss. So I've given away the profit knowing that next quarter, we were probably going to take a loss because something fell on the other side of the line. And so it's, it's not wrong to put money aside and, and prepare for that, put it into a reserve fund, whatever you want to do. But in hindsight, not only have people had the expectation that, oh, this is going to be my bonus forever, but then when the company took a hit and is losing money, of course, nobody is going to 
nobody's going to be contributing at that instance. So a lot of it comes down to doing better planning ahead. I, I don't think I did a, a good job of that. Yeah, it speaks to some of the potential downsides. So what what are these potential downsides from a employer perspective? Some of the things I mentioned before, you're giving people transparency into how the business is doing, and sometimes that can spook them. So for example, if they hear there's no profit sharing because there's no profit, they may panic and think the company's going under and you don't know what you're doing and stuff like that. So it, it can cause problems there as well. Which again, that's where transparency comes in. You have to trust your people to have the right in, give them the right information and know that they'll come to the right conclusion. But yeah, it, it can be very distressing for an employee to hear that there's no profit, especially if there's been profit in the last quarter that there's just there's a lot of uncertainty. And as a business owner, you don't get to panic because you're kind of stuck, but employees aren't and they can they're free to look around. So if they feel like their prospects are going down, that that can cause uncertainty and you can lose people that way. Very interested to know is there any specific conversations taking place at various levels of the organization around the transparency of of well this is why profit didn't happen this quarter and maybe how can we look to use that as an opportunity to drive this moving forward as a team, as a combined unit, so that we continue to profit nicely moving forward. Sure. Yeah. I actually, I just got back from our leadership retreat where our department heads went away for a couple of days and we kind of dug into where the company is and where the company is going. Uh, and I did get into it. I, I didn't open the books, but I talked about this is where we are. We're, we're taking it on the chin a little bit. The exchange rate's been rough. We don't foresee profit sharing coming this quarter also. And here's why. And questions came up of, you know, well, like, this is what's going on. Do we need to raise prices? And But it, it's good because if they don't ask those questions, they're just going to ask them of each other. It's better that they get to ask them of me and I get to give them the honest answers of where we're going. Then you come out the other side having more confidence in one another. Yeah, that's what tough conversations can do, isn't it? Build the trust and develop the confidence. What are some of the negative sides, which again, you've touched on through the conversation, I think, from an employee perspective in a profit sharing arrangement? Again, a lot of them can be discretionary. So if the business takes a rough quarter, some employers will uh, use profit sharing in lieu of bonus of uh, fixed merit-based bonuses and raises. So if more of your compensation is tied up in profit sharing and the company hits a downturn, your fortune is more tied to the, the company. So that's a negative. As the company grows, your your stake can be diluted. It can cause a bit of rivalry at times if people know that they're competing for profit sharing. But at the same time, that is kind of the point is to get the best out of people. Um, at, you know, it can cause you have to trust the employer, of course, to be honest and forthcoming about the books and things like that. Um, so there's there's some downsides, not a ton taxable. Um, depending on how it's done, it may be done as a, uh, a pre-tax or post-tax. So I would definitely uh, clarify that if you're looking at any agreements. How important do you feel? Maybe you've got some data on this. That having an arrangement like this for your employees has contributed to having good people wanting to work for you, having good people actually work for you and having people stay longer in your business? I think it's definitely contributed because not only is it a financial incentive, but it makes people feel ownership 
And so I feel like that leads them to make suggestions. I feel like that causes them to look for ways to improve the business. There's a story about an old battle an army was outnumbered four to one and, you know, gives a rousing speech and, you know, we're outnumbered four to one, go get them. And the battle's raging and the general sees this soldier in retreat and he goes, soldier, where are you going? The soldier goes, I got my four. He was leaving because he was outnumbered four to one. And I I think it helps people overcome that mindset of this is my job and I'm going to do the bare minimum. Today, they call it quiet quitting. You know, I'm going to do the bare minimum not to get fired. I think profit sharing, it causes people to have a stake in the company and to give it for ways to improve it. And let's just focus on the actual recruitment side for a moment. How often do you feel or maybe having the direct conversations in the recruitment side? Granted, you're not recruiting everybody, as you said earlier. How often does that come up in the recruitment process and it feels like a bit of a motivation incentive for people to wanting to come into the business? It definitely does on the high level. I will say, going back to advice I would give ahead of time, I would say, get your stuff together because before you launch it, because the more people that you bring in, the higher the organization goes, the more tough questions you're going to get. People will want to know exactly how you're calculating it and, and all that. So have your answer ready and make sure it's consistent. You don't want to change it. But it absolutely has incentivized people who maybe even making lateral moves, but they like the idea of having ownership in the company. They like, they like feeling more invested. So I've definitely seen it with some executive level people we've brought in recently that it's been a, a motivator. I don't ask this question from a perspective of, hey, pay people less, but have you found that you could potentially get good people for slightly less money than what you might be, you know, what you can afford to pay, but you maybe can't compete with some of the larger companies? Has it helped from that perspective at all? To be honest, I, I haven't I haven't tried that. Not trying to be sanctimonious or anything, but I've always looked at it as a part, like this is what I'm paying to get you. This is, in my mind, it's similar to ghost equity. You know, it's it's not owned by the employees, but it's set aside for them and charity, of course. So I I don't factor it into my employment calculations because I also can't guarantee. In fact, I I've told people recently there is profit sharing, but I want to be crystal crystal clear. We are growing at a phenomenal rate, and I do not predict having profit sharing for the next few quarters. When it comes around, you'll be glad it's there, but I'd like you to not not factor it in because just to be crystal clear, this business is eating more money than it's generating at this point. How much, mate, of the conversation and the discretionary situation around the profit being divvied out goes into performance? I guess I'm talking the eligibility criteria into actual performance, technical performance on the ground, achieving KPIs or whatever they their performance measures are and behaviors, like they're living the organization's values or they're, you know, they're just a good, decent employee based on the behaviors that we value? I don't know how I would put that into numbers. It's certainly both. Some people, their value is they're, they're rainmakers. They produce, they sell, or they get stuff done, or they do twice the work, stuff like that. Other people, their value is that I, I can trust them. They have my heart. They know the company's value and vision. And that's another part type of value because I know that they're spreading that throughout the organization, that people see this person and want to emulate this person that I feel like is a good representation of who we are. 
And I, I think you need both. I think you can't get by with just one. I, I wouldn't tolerate somebody who made us millions of dollars, but didn't reflect who we are because that would poison the company. You also can't have people that are really nice people and love being there, but also don't get anything done. So, so you, need, you need a little bit of both. In summing this topic up, mate, I'm a business owner. Let's say I've had my business for a period of time. There's some employees in it and I'm considering an employee profit sharing arrangement. I come to you for some advice and maybe for some convincing, for want of a better word. Sell it to me to sum this up. I would say that we've seen in the last few years that labor power, the power is shifting towards the employees that is becoming more and more difficult to get good employees. I'd also wager that in the last few years, you've seen the difference between a good employee and a warm body who's just filling the seat. If you want to get the best people, you want to motivate them. Profit sharing is the single best way to do it. One of the best ways to do it because it ensures their long-term thinking. It ensures their holistic thinking about the business rather than just what can they get out of it. And it becomes a sign that there is a future there. A lot of small businesses lose employees because they run out of room to grow. Whereas with profit sharing, if the business continues to do better, so do they. So it, it creates a broader path moving forward. And that can help with retention as well. Yeah, it is a good point you mentioned, Rob. So just, just tell us a little bit about the charity part of the profit sharing arrangement, what that drives and, and how it benefits people and, and how your employees feel about it. The charity is is one of my passions. Uh, 20 years from now, I hope that it's 90% of my time. And I, I feel like we get as much pull out of the charity side of it as we do the profit sharing side of it. I feel like people, because it, it, it's a mirror. If we give 10% to employees, we give 10% to charity and we make a big deal. Um, probably about a month ago now, we had a work day at our Guadalajara office. And we invited about 15, 20 employees to come work at an orphanage where we supported for five years. And every month we get updates and we share them with people. We put them in the newsletter. We have you know campaigns. It, it's a really big, big deal. And it's a key part of our DNA and why we do what we do. And we try to have a local charity in each office, uh, excuse me, in the same city as each office. So they feel vested. We look for, we don't go for like the Red Cross or anything. I'm nothing wrong with that, but we like smaller businesses that we can be partners with. My accounting firm does free bookkeeping. Our marketing department does like free social media, design stuff like that. And so we really partner with these companies. And I feel like we get a lot of mileage out of that because people, this generation in particular values and what the company stands for is key. So I think it's a, it's two sides to the same coin. They like the profit sharing and they also like knowing that they're doing good with their nine to five rather than just making the company money. So it sounds like then that that initiative you've have and especially attaching to the local charity in the area of the office, it's really creating a good feel of people, but it's probably attracting the right sort of people that have some sort of alignment with what you're thinking, who you are in your DNA, your values and what you'd like to have within your business. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I like to think it sends a message that we could grow a little faster and keep it for ourselves. We could make a little money and, and uh, you know, keep it for ourselves, but we don't. The, the more we grow, the more we give. And it's a line item of the budget. Like we have goals that if we're going to grow, the budget from giving grows by this much. This past year, we, we finally hit a goal I've been trying to hit for a while that we gave more to charity than my wife and I took home. And that's a goal we've been trying to hit for a while. And, and going forward, our goal is going to be we will not take more out of the company than we give away. Great impact, mate. What impact are you trying to have? 
My ultimate goal is to fix charity. As ambitious as that is, I think charity is broken. I think you either get people with great intentions and no business sense, or you get lobbyists who run big organizations and spend millions of dollars on corporate salaries and and fancy galas and things like that. I'm trying to make businesses more charitable and charities more business-like. And I think I actually, I got my thesis up there on the shelf. I got my master's. My thesis was on a self-supporting orphanage. It was an orphanage and a school and a church that had farmlands and crops and cattle and things like that. And it was completely self-sustaining. So I, my goal is to plant charities like that, like a homeless shelter that owns a factory and stay there can work at the factory, build a job history, contribute, have money when they leave. Cause I lived in a homeless shelter for a while and it was, it was enabling it just, there's no incentive to do better because then you lose the benefits. But if you have a homeless shelter that owns a factory, number one, it doesn't need outside funds because it, it's evergreen. You can provide a valid work history for these people. It, it, it provides stability and structure, and it just it works better. So my goal is to make charities that are cash neutral, that don't need outside investment, that hopefully get them, but that once you start them, they're evergreen, and it's like nuclear fusion, and it just keeps, keeps going. So that's, that's the ultimate goal. But the truth is those things cost a lot of money. So first, I need to make a couple hundred million bucks to do it. Love it, mate. Well, good luck on your journey. That whole topic you just unpacked sounds like a whole other episode again. (laughs) That's my passion. That's awesome, mate. Well done. Rob, what's helped you to become a more confident leader, mate? I think experience, certainly. You go through enough doomsday scenarios and come out the other side, you realize that you rarely die. (laughs) I've been through enough things that I thought were the end of the world, and I look back and go, ah, I'm still here. Like, that hurt, but I'm still here. Practically, th- one thought exercise I've come across is, okay, I've got this crisis in front of me. What is the single worst thing that could happen? Okay, this is the absolute worst case scenario. What am I going to do if this happens? Okay, I'm going to do this. As soon as I do that, we take you take away the fear of the unknown. Because if you have a plan for the worst thing to happen, anything else is all great. I found that that takes away a lot of the uncertainty because a lot of times what we freak out about is we don't know what's going to happen. So just prepare for the worst and everything else is a bonus. Like any great advice, it comes from experience and not being like your advice. What was that moment where you hadn't applied that advice? Give me, give me a gory so story, many. mate. <laughs> there were so many. <laughs> I don't even remember. I know the time. I know it was 2017, 2018. I was forcing some partners out of a business, bad business relationship and just trying to keep my head above water. And I, I just started to ask myself, like, you know, okay, so things go south. What happens? Okay, my credit takes a hit. I probably lose my house. I have to go get a nine to five. I rebuild. 10 years from now, I'm still alive. I'm still married. My kids are healthy. I rebuild. I start over. I'm a little bit behind. Oh, I, you know, that's that's still better than most people. If I'm being honest, that okay. Let's let's go do this. I think the uh, the unknown is what gets you. you. You feel like it's some terrible. You feel like you're going to be tortured or something. But you just you start realizing, oh, that that's I can live with that. Yeah, spot on, mate. It is the unknown that our minds start to wander, isn't it? So, and just to sum this up, then I would say that 
Well, first of all, thank you very much for sharing your insights and your your learned and lived insights into creating and delivering on implementing a profit sharing arrangement. And that's still going strong for your business. Encourage people to face the unknown. If this is something they've not heard of or something they have heard of, but they just haven't put any time into learning more about it, I think we really do need to encourage and hopefully this conversation has encouraged people to at least take a bit of a look at it, listen to the conversation, understand it a little bit more and quite possibly it could work very well for some of these small to medium business owners out there in encouraging great people into their business and creating and driving some teamwork and some really good performance and results, mate. So thank you very much for sharing this on the Cultural Leadership Podcast today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. In everything Rob shared about employee profit sharing models, there was one phrase he said that most resonated with me. The more we grow, the more we give. Are you a leader who's focused on giving? These were my three key takeaways from my conversation with Rob. My first key takeaway, confident leaders believe in stewardship. A profit-sharing model can be driven by your beliefs and the desire to give back. Confident leaders recognize that money can be a tool for positive change. They strive to support others in need through transparent and well-structured profit-sharing agreements. My second key takeaway, confident leaders balance generosity and prudence. Starting with a reasonable profit-sharing percentage, such as 10%, allows room for potential growth. They understand that over-committing at the beginning can cause issues later on. It's easier to increase the share over time than to reduce it. Implementing data-driven criteria and putting caps on profit shares ensures sustainability and sound financial management. My third key takeaway, confident leaders foster a sense of ownership and teamwork. Profit sharing creates a sense of stakeholder ownership among employees, promoting a deeper connection to the company's success. By linking financial rewards to performance, the model motivates individuals to go above and beyond their regular duties. This can help foster healthy competition and attract talented professionals to the organization. So in summary, my three key takeaways were confident leaders believe in stewardship, confident leaders balance generosity and prudence, and confident leaders foster a sense of ownership and teamwork. Let me know your key takeaways on YouTube or at thecultureofleadership.com. Thanks for joining me and remember, the best outcome is on the other side of a genuine conversation. Thanks for listening to The Culture of Leadership. You can access the show notes at thecultureofleadership.com. If you enjoy the show, please follow, rate, and give a review on your favorite podcast platform.